But well, uh, Tim is going to come and share in the uh, ultimate end to our series of Life in the Spirit. So should we just pray for Tim? Perhaps you'd like to stretch out a hand. Um, Father, we thank you for Tim. We thank you that you are the living word. Um, and Lord, as he comes to share with us now, will you just inspire and energize him afresh? And will you open our hearts to receive all you have for us? For your glory, Lord God. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Lydia. It's good to be with you. Uh, so if you've got one of the, the church green Bibles, we're on page 1115, 1115. Just while you're finding that, a couple of postscript notices. Um, this, this book, we've still got copies of the kind of church book we're recommending. Christopher West, Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. Uh, I thoroughly recommend this. It's a brilliant read, a provocative read. You won't necessarily agree with everything. But uh, what we're looking to do in September, the 16th and 23rd of September, is to have an evening seminar uh, here to discuss some of the issues related and swirling around this book. So if you've read it, it will really help you to come to that seminar furnished uh, and prepared. So uh, Christopher West, fill these hearts. They retail at something like 20 pounds. We're selling them for five. Billy bargain. So come and uh, grab them off me. Um, at the end of the service. Second thing I should just say is this is Bij over here in the fantastic shorts, uh, and he's also sporting a camera. Bij is a professional filmmaker, and he, we're commissioning a film for our Living Space fundraiser. So that's why he's here lurking around with that bit of kit. Uh, he's filming. He's essentially getting backs of heads. But if you would please do come and see me or Lucy, just Lucy gives away there, our director of operations. If you don't want to be in a, a film at all that we're going to show just for, well, it probably will, it'll go on YouTube, won't it? So it will be in the public domain. So if you don't want to be on the, the video, that's absolutely fine. No, uh, no judgment or anything like that at all. Absolutely fine. Just come and let us know. And we, Beach can do his magic and sort of edit you out. Uh, but that's why he's here very discreetly, uh, just filming one or two things of what goes on here at St. D's. Okay, into God's Word. This is Paul's letter to a church in Philippi, and we're coming in halfway through chapter 3. I'm going to read from um, verse 4. It's a little bit autobiographical, as uh, Paul says, that all the good stuff that he had, he was, he was a kind of golden boy in Jewish circles, but actually compared to knowing Jesus Christ, this brand new relationship with Jesus Christ that we've been exploring in these last few weeks, that life in the spirit, what does that look like? And Paul's saying, compared to knowing Jesus Christ, all that I had, all the gold medals, all the trophies, nothing worth compared to this. Let's, let's uh, hear it in his own words. If others, I'm going from halfway through verse 4, the start of that paragraph. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining.
pertaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Let the word of God sit amongst us and just echo in our minds, sit on our hearts, begin to work on our wills. <laughs> this is like no other writing that the world knows, extraordinary writings. Shakespeare, among others, incredible human insight, and yet nothing that is taken by the Spirit of God and lifted off the page and placed into our lives. We, we feed. We are inspired by, shaped by what God has to say to us through his word. Father, we simply ask that your spirit would be at work in every single one of us as we pay attention to what you want to say to us in order that we can live lives that make you look good. Equip us. Lord, inspire us, challenge us, shape us, so that as men and women of God, as your sons and daughters, we live as your ambassadors in our places of work, in our offices and corridors, staff rooms and meeting rooms, in the gyms and leisure places, in our homes, amongst our networks. So shape us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as Lydia said, this is, um, we're kind of finishing off now this series that we've been looking at, uh, life in the spirit, what it is to live uh, a fully authentic, fully orbed Christian life. And uh, what I want to do this evening, we've looked at how uh, the Holy Spirit enables us to live in what theologians call the now and the not yet. Uh, that is that in one sense, a, a, a foretaste, a deposit, a first fruits, the Bible language has it, of heaven has come to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, made real to us. We can experience that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we have, in a sense, the now of God's kingdom. But as we look around the world, we look at our own lives, we, we just have to confess, it's not yet here completely. So we live in this creative dynamic tension and we've been trying to explore well, well how do I live in the you know Monday morning tomorrow uh, and just in a typical day-to-day -day life how do I live in full possession of all that God has for me so that all the life of the spirit all the freedom the power the victory given that it's not yet here completely how do we live in that tension? I've been uh, spending a bit of time in the last few weeks and with Lydia last week on talking about the gifts of the Spirit and uh, what it is to live as a son and daughter of the living God, talking about the now element. And today what I want to, to do is to talk about how we live the now given that there is the not yet. There's struggle, there's test, there's trial. Life doesn't always go the way we hoped it would. How do we live the now in that particular not yet. The disappointments and the setbacks. 
when we feel uh, alone, isolated, like stuff just isn't working out. And not unsurprisingly, I, I hope, we'll discover that the New Testament here is just one passage. We're going to look at one or two others as well. has quite a lot to say about that particular aspect of our Christian living. The, the framework, so just a little recap, or if you miss this, these, these talks are online, but very briefly, some frameworks that help our understanding to understand God as Trinity, God as relation, um, who, who we know through relationship. Not a set, series of rituals, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So we come to know God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And that just helps us to understand fully who we are because so often the temptation is to slightly sideline the Holy Spirit. Because we, we, you know, we've kind of, we've got Jesus down. Uh, there he is. We, he lived on earth. He was a human being. We can imagine. We, we, we can go to the Middle East. We can go to, to Israel. And we can see actually where he walked and where he lived. And we can imagine that. He ate. He laughed. He cried. He shared all our human life. So we can picture Jesus. Jesus is tangible. We know what Jesus died on the cross for us to forgive us our sin, to cancel the debt, to buy us out of the orphanage, as it were. So we, yeah, we got that. But the Holy Spirit, so we've got, a, we've got a representation of Jesus there. We've got the cross. We've got an image in that window. Jesus, Jesus. A lot of our songs are Jesus, hymns, Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's a little bit harder to, to kind of understand, to quantify. The, the title doesn't help, the Holy Spirit. So we tend to refer to him as it. Because, you know, we, haven't, we don't call him Bob. You know, we have a little name for the Holy Spirit. But we, you know, the Maj Her Majesty the Queen, we don't refer to her as it, that's her title, but there's a person. But we have to work a little bit harder as Christians to, to get to know and experience what it is to, to know the Spirit in our hearts, minds, lives, to recognize Him at work, maybe through conviction or the bestowment of peace, just a, a, an infusion of joy, uh, a strange sense of faith or love, the ability to be kind, the fruit of the Spirit, and we recognize Him. And as we recognize him, we, we welcome him. We say, thank you, live with me. This is so, so much better than me on my own. So Trinity, an important framework. We talked about um, the, the Ponzi theological word, eschatology. It's just recognizing that the future has broken into the present. And, and it's the same kind of thing, like on a, the end of a March day, you know, winter is still around. The, the days are still relatively short. And yet every now and then you get... An, an unusually sunny day. You know the kind of day that makes you take your jacket off or your coat off? And you ah. Oh. And that is eschatology. That is the promise of summer come early. And you are, oh, that's so good. That's so good. And it's so good because it's a foretaste of what's to come. You think, oh, it's March. We've got April, May. Then we'll be June, July, August, September. Yes. And so in, in March, even though it's still kind of technically late winter, we can begin to celebrate summer because a little foretaste of summer, the future breaking into the present. So God as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the future breaking into the present enables us, gives us the framework to understand how we can live fully authentic, fully fleshed, spirit-filled lives that honor God and draw others to him through us. And so we talked about um, what that means for our, the reality of who we are in Christ. 
that we are not just ex-orphans, but sons and daughters. Strictly, the Bible should refer to, to sons as because it's, um, it's about theological inheritance from the father and sons inherit. It's not a sexist thing, ladies. And anyway, it all balances out because men, we're the bride of Christ. So it, it, all, it all comes out in the wash. We can live with that. So we're theological sons. In other words, we stand to inherit all that God has for us. But if it helps, sons and daughters. Not just orphans, heirs. That's the reality of who we are. But we talked a bit about how this was the Gareth Bale. For those of you that were here, if you weren't here, Gareth Bale played for Tottenham. Then he got transferred to Real Madrid. On the first day, he's at the Real Madrid training ground. He's 100% a Real Madrid player, but he feels like a Tottenham player. Everything is strange at the Bernabeu. Everything is familiar at White Hart Lane. He feels like his old life, even though he's completely his new life. And, and that's our experience as Christians. Is that even though we are 100% God's children, heirs with Christ, we feel, we're dragged back to what we know we once were. And we begin to tell ourselves that's probably who we really are. I'm not a proper Christian. I'm not a really good Christian. We say to ourselves, it's not biblical language. Do you know, do you know what I think the opposite of faith is just on this one? Sometimes I think we think, oh, the opposite of faith is, is doubt. No, I think doubt is, uh, is woven into faith. Actually, Francesca Dalton gave a fantastic talk a few weeks ago on exactly that. No, I think the opposite of faith is memory. Ah. You see, by faith, I stand here and say I am perfect in Christ. By faith, I say I am a son and a daughter of the living God. Ultimately, it's, it's quite difficult to prove. I'm just, I'm just stating that, believing it and stating it in faith. The thing is, I then can remember what I was like last Tuesday back in the vicarage when I was pretty selfish and pig-headed and kicked off a bit of an argument, which was totally my fault. I remember how I treated that person. I remember my sins of negligence. I remember so much about myself. I remember. And that, that's what drags me down. If I was really a, a son of the living God, would I? Can I? Should I? Memory. You know, there's one thing that we can do that God can't do. A bit like a trivial pursuit question, isn't it? <laughs> we can remember our sin. Jeremiah 31, 34, fantastic verse to remember, to assure you, to help you. I will blot out their transgressions, God says through the prophet Jeremiah 31, 34. I will blot out their transgressions and remember their sin no more. Wow. That's not, by the way, just God's kind of getting on a bit, sort of white hair, big gray beard and he's kind of forgetful no it's not like he's sort of forgetting he's choosing not to remember there's a difference God says to us I choose not to remember your sin if we're going to be followers of God we should learn to do the same thing not that we're in denial about our past I'm free to say in that metaphor I once was an orphan but now Gloriously, graciously, by the Spirit of the living God working in me, I am through Christ. I am a son and an heir. And so 
what I've been trying to encourage us to think about and do over these last few weeks is to practice transforming the way in which we think, our worldview. Shift the understanding to who you are in Christ so that you're, as, as we've got the framework in place, we can begin to live who we are. And that will take effort. It, it will take considered effort. You, you, it won't just happen. And I want to go on about that. That's living in the not yet. We'll, there are forces and influences at work which will inhibit our desire and our ability to grow more and more like Christ. You will need to train to be like Christ. It's a bit like this, um, I've got this calling card here. It's my little, you know, whatever, business card thing. So there it is, dead straight, like that. And I could exert, I, if I want to change the shape of that card, I could, I could bend it. But you see what happens? It just, it just flips straight back again. So I've got quite a bit of effort on there, flips straight back. I've got, to, I've got to really, I've got to be quite intentional if I want to change the shape of this card. I've got to bend it right over and, and maybe hold it there. I've got to be quite intentional. And then it'll still, look, it'll still flip, but ah, now it's, it's shifted shape. And if again, I just, if I'm quite intentional about the transformation, about the change, then I can bring about change. Interesting, uh, I've been preaching through the Sunday and I've used that illustration and the other two talks. And uh, so the, um, the other card, the card that I started off with this morning, is now, it's had that done a few times. So look what happens, just a little bit, just a little bit. Ah, do you see that? If we practice these things, if we train ourselves to be molded by God through his spirit, it becomes easier and easier for us to be less rebellious and straight, less stiff and upright. We'll, we'll flex, we'll mold, we'll bend to God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you haven't learned this verse, get it in there. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, as you're transformed by the renewing, as, as your mind molds around the mind of Christ, you'll be able to test and approve his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In fact, his will which maybe at times doesn't feel good, doesn't feel pleasing, doesn't feel perfect, because I, I haven't got the job that I want, or I'm not living in the place that I want with the friends that I've got. I haven't got the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the wife or the husband that I want. So I'm not sure that God's will for my life is exactly working out. But as we allow ourselves to flex to him, then his will for our lives, whatever the circumstances, his will becomes good, pleasing, perfect and we see that as that's fleshed out in our lives so what I want to do is to think for just a few moments about what is what are the forces at work that um, as I seek to live as a son or daughter of God as I seek to allow myself to be wrapped around his what are the what are the forces that flip us back what's at work in the this is I want to be the now I want to be the son of the daughter. I want to know myself to be the son and daughter of the living God. What, what's, what's resisting that? What's causing the, the stiffness, the resistance? We thought a few, minutes ago, a few weeks ago about the fact that when anyone comes to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, it says when anyone comes to Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's true. But some things in that transfer, some things 
didn't change. And I guess it's encapsulated in a, a wonderful little prayer that's tucked into the liturgy of the baptism service. We, we regularly have baptisms at the 10.30. Occasionally we have them here. We should have another one, shouldn't we? We can hire a pool, uh, full immersion baptisms for people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a little prayer tucked in that uh, uh, liturgy, the, the, the words that we say, that we pray over the candidate, maybe a little baby in arms, or it could be an adult, whoever it is. And it's this, it's, it's quite militant actually. Fight, it says, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against, ooh, who, who are we fighting against as Christians? Against sin, the world, and the devil. And remain faithful to Christ for the rest of your life. Fight, it's a battle, it's a language. Fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil. That's kind of what we're up against. That's, that's, that's what is when we're looking to, to mold to God. That's what's forcing us back. That's the resistance. Sin, the world, and the devil. I think it helps for us to be aware of what's around us. Because so often we can't see it. It's difficult to measure. But it's there. When we flipped from orphan to heir, from slave to son from death to life, however you want to, whatever metaphor you want to employ to understand who you are and who we are now in Christ. When, when that happens, certain things didn't change. So, um, for example, sin still exists and the power of sin still exists. It, it's, it's very hard to quantify. We don't sort of see it. But it's, if you like, a law at work. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in particular, he talks about the law of sin and death being at work in the world in which we live and, and exerting an influence on us. A bit like the law of gravity. Isaac Newton sitting under a tree, writing in his book, and uh, suddenly, boom, on his head, an apple. And it causes his inquiring mind to wonder, why didn't that apple stay on the tree? And since it left parted company with the branch, why did it fall towards earth? And so he clever man that he was, deduced the law of gravity. Still applies today. So um, I've got my, my keys here, and if I let go of them, they will, they will fall towards the earth. That's the law of gravity just demonstrated there. So too, the law of sin in whatever form. I mean, apple might be a bunch of keys, whatever it is. Sin has a power that we can feel in our lives today. There isn't a single one of us who wouldn't put up a hand and say, yeah, I, I, know, <laughs> I know what the power of sin looks like, feels like in our lives today, in my life and the lives of those around. We, we fight against it, against sin. Secondly, the world. What is, what's the baptism liturgy? What are the, this, this is centuries old, time-honored prayer. What's that about in resisting our living in the now? Well, um, Basically, one of the things that didn't change when I became a Christian was my body. I still had arms, legs, flesh, blood. Uh, and so I still had the propensity to experience the senses of sight and hearing and touch and smell. So I was still operating exactly the same before uh, or after as before. And the Bible, did you pick it up in, in this reading here? Paul makes reference to um, verse 4. He, he makes reference to confidence in the flesh. Now again, he's not talking just, or he's talking about a bit more than just the body with its propensity to hear and touch and feel and see. 
He's talking about um, what's attached to that, if you like, um, our sinful nature, the Bible calls it. It's a, it's a Greek word, the Greek word sarx, which is translated our, our natural body or our sinful nature. It's the equivalent, if you like, of, of um, sticking with an old pair of clothes that have maybe got dirty, muddy, smelly, and uh, they're not us. The clothes aren't us. They don't, they don't kind of contribute to our identity, but they say something about us. If I carry on wearing a smelly shirt, it says something about my whole state of being. And so the flesh, it, it doesn't define us, but it says something about us and the way in which we speak or behave and which we prioritize our time or our money the choices that we make, the people that we hang out with, our dreams, our hopes, are all interlinked in our body and the flesh. And, and they play a part within the context of the world. The world is just everything that we see around us that is not subject to Jesus Christ. The, the Bible kind of lumps all of that, and, and it's quite a generalization, I ought to say. There are some wonderful people who wouldn't describe themselves as Christians, who contribute beautifully, positively, creatively, wonderfully, often secretly, humbly, to our well-being. So, so we need to be careful when we talk about the world. It's like they're not all devil worshippers. Uh, there are some wonderful people. There are some great stories. But nevertheless, in Bible terms, they are outside of Christ. And they exert an influence so the marketing director of Boots has discovered that in the last 48 hours, put out a statement about the morning after pill, uh, made a stand, and has had to rather hastily retract that, ironically, the morning after he made the statement. <laughs> but here's interesting, and I, I've, I've, I mean, I'm not going to make further comment on it, but I'm just interested that the, the news report I heard on this was because of the force of public opinion. It was, it was the force of public opinion. He'd, he'd serious, Boots had seriously misjudged public opinion. So on the basis of public opinion, they changed track. That's the world in operation. It, it might be good, or it might not. It's quite hard to tell. It's the world. It exerts an influence on us. So our bodies, and particularly our sinful nature, the propensity to do what comes naturally, which might actually be just at odds from what God in Christ would have us do, is at work in us like an unseen force. Finally, the devil against sin, the world, and the devil. The devil was defeated on the cross categorically. The New Testament is so clear about that, Colossians 2 and elsewhere. Defeated, but not yet destroyed. He's, he's like a wounded cat. And they can often be the most dangerous. The Bible says, be on your guard against the devil. So fight valiantly, the baptism of liturgy. As you, as you enter into this Christian life, fight valiantly against sin, the world, and the devil. So how do we live in this battle, in the, in the not yet, when all of this is raging around, making it so difficult to live a pure and good and holy life? To live the kind of life that deep down we want to live. The good and beautiful life. What's our attitude in the here and now? It's challenging. But against those three, sin, the world and the devil, can I offer this as a trajectory on where our story is taking us? 
the Christian story, the story of God of being wrapped up in the dance of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because sin and its power has been overcome. It still exists, but it's gazumped, if you like, by a higher power. So the law of gravity still exists, but the law of thrust and aerodynamics means that several thousand tons worth of plane is able to leave the earth and fly up into the sky. The law of thrust and aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the law of sin and death. And he talks about how, oh my goodness, this law is overwhelming, sin and death. I do, I do all the, in fact, that wonderful sort of dialogue with himself in, in chapter 7. All the things I want to do, I don't do. All the things I don't want to do, I do do. Oh, woe is me, what a wretch. Ah, oh, chapter 8, but thanks be to God. There's now no condemnation, for the law of sin and death has been overcome by the law of spirit and life. We have a greater power working in us than the power that is in the world. The world, as we know it, the world, is, Paul uses this phrase, in bondage to decay. Now you're all, look at you, you're in the prime of life. All of you, I look out on you. It's like a, it's like a sort of church beauty parade looking at you guys. But I, let me take it from me. As I'm the, the other side of 50. Now, my joints are, my knees ache. One of my two teeth's fallen out. My hair's going gray. I'm in bondage to decay. I've got some bad news for you. You've got another sort of 20, 30 years, you guys. Make the most of it. Because then when you get to my grand old age, and it'll happen. It happens. One day we'll die. The world is in bondage to decay. It's, it's just a process. We don't still spend much time thinking about it, but it's happening. This world is coming to an end. And again, Scripture tells us, the wonderful story at the end, Revelation, that there will be uh, a new, brand new creation, heaven and earth recreated. So the power of sin has been overcome by a higher power. This world... And, and all its negative forces exerted on us will not last. It's, it's decaying even now. And there is a promise of new heaven, new earth. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears. Revelation 21. The old order has passed away. The new has come. We've got that to look forward to. And we've had the forward. It's like summer. And we've had a summer's day now. We can live in that future now. And the devil, defeated and one day will be destroyed. Revelation chapter 20, thrown into the river of the lake of Salphur. So he's still around, still exerting power. Watch your news feeds. You'll see the enemy at work in people's lives. But he will not always be so. And one day he will be destroyed. If the enemy, as Christians call the devil, Satan, if the enemy ever sort of whispers to you in your conscience, in your head, and reminds you, stirs up that memory that erodes faith and reminds you of your past, why don't you take your authority as a son or daughter of the living God and remind him of his future? Sin has been overcome. The world is in decay to a brand new creation. The devil one day will be destroyed. Do you see where our story is taking us? If it's challenging now, if it's tough now to live in the now, now this summer day now, 
but in the not yet, are surrounded by the world, by sin, by temptation, by all of that. If it's tough now, it's only going to get better. And we hold, we hold on to that. Few, that's what Christian hope is. Who, who, who longs for what they already have, Paul says. No, but we wait eagerly, patiently. We, we hope for what we do not have. But hope is very real. So embrace the now amid the not yet. Embrace the now amid the not yet. Don't let a cold snap in April rob you of summer when you're in March. In fact, you can almost embrace a cold snap in April because you know its day is done. We're not going to get cold snaps all the way through May, June, July, August. Summer's coming, even in this country sometime it's coming and we hold on for that we can embrace a cold snap because we know summer's coming and we've had a foretaste of it in March and actually do you know we use this language all the time we use this future now idea all the time in our everyday language oh I can't wait to go to the party Oh, I can't wait to see my girlfriend again. Oh, I can't wait for, I can't wait. See what we're saying? There's a future event and I can't wait for it. I want the future event now. Where does the idea that we can long for something in the future to be real in the present come from? If it isn't from time-honored theology. We, we say, friends, we don't perhaps say this quite so much, but... We say, oh, I, I'm dying for, I'm dying to see so-and-so. I'm dying to go to focus. That's even more theological. That is saying, yeah, I, that's, that's actually bringing us into this passage now with Paul. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, future, and look at it here in verse 10, to know the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I'm dying to dot, dot, dot. And implicit in that is, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm dying to go to focus. That doesn't mean that I'll arrive at focus in a coffin. I'm dying to go to focus means I, I can't wait to go through whatever it takes to be alive at focus. Or whatever it might be. It's, it's a future anticipation that's good, not I'm going to die so that I can go to focus. <laughs> dying to live. That's how we live in the now amid the not yet. We literally embrace it. Can we look at, um, I've got two more passages and to save you turning them up, we've got them on the screen. Can we do, Sam, can we look at the Romans one? And I'll, I'll, I'll read it out. Um, this is from Romans chapter eight. Paul basically, this is a summation of what really I've been trying to say over the last few weeks for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There it is, kind of homework. We read it again. Let that sit. That's, that's the gospel there, basically. The Spirit enabling us to call God Father. And that enables us to live through present tough times, suffering, longing, groaning, eagerly waiting it's the promise of the future that sustains us in the present and that's how we live for him just one final thing and then we're going to worship God we're going to pray we're going to just ask his spirit to knead this message into our hearts and minds but just here in Philippians these are challenging words for Paul um it's actually quite strong words. Preachers love this. So it's very naughty. Preachers love to be naughty with this. Um, it's interesting to translate in verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider, consider them garbage. Which I kind of take to be an American word for rubbish. Is that right? Kind of. Um, I think it's because the translators are trying to, they're trying to sort of dance their way discreetly around what the Greek is. Do you know what the Greek word is? It's, it, 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 there's no way around it. It's a, rude, it's a swear word that Paul uses. Begins with SH and ends in IT. That's what it is. That's what it is. Excrement. I consider all the... But he had... Paul was like the Jew of the Jews. He was the kind of Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was the guy, top guy, Saul. And he counts it all as excrement compared to knowing Christ. Wow, how has he got there? How has he got there? How has he allowed the, 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 the work of God, the spirit in him to so flex that he doesn't bounce back again? He doesn't want to go back to what he had before. How is he living so victoriously in the now, given the not yet? And here it is in verse 10. I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Oh yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? The power that raises life out of death. Don't we want to know that as we sit in front of a spreadsheet, as we're on a tricky conference call or in a chairing a difficult meeting, if we're in a relationship that just is kind of going anywhere, wouldn't we love the equivalent power just to scythe through whatever is sticking us and holding us back? I want to know his, the power of his resurrection. And here's the key. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to be an Easter Christian. I want to live for him, but I need to participate in his sufferings. I need to become like in him his death. Final illustration. Forgive me if it, it's a bit, it's my own, uh, an experience I had fleshing this out. It probably seems quite trivial or trite. There are there are other things going on in, in my life and our sort of family life, which I'm 
kind of not at liberty to share um, on, a, on a broader stage, but there's stuff that pains us that we find tough and difficult, if I'm honest. Um, but let me give you this, in a sense, rather trite example, and then hopefully you can take it and apply it to your scenarios, your context, and, and, and amplify it. Think about when Jesus was most serving us. It was, it was when Paul contemplates him in his death. Just a week before, he'd had the whole of Jerusalem facing him, crowds, branches, Hosanna, King of the Kings. Within a week, he's pretty much abandoned. There's Mary and John, uh, one or two others, a Roman centurion, but that's it. No Peter, no other of the 12, none of the 72 or other disciples, none of the crowd, they've all, they've long, long since scattered. And there he is in physical agony, psychological torment, spiritual rupture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is so lonely. He is so desolate. In his greatest hour of need, he's abandoned. Ever been tempted to feel like that? When... Uh, your work colleagues, the group you're working with, the team you're in, they just don't get you. You've, you've maybe made a little stand for Jesus Christ and been knocked back. You've been slagged off, you've been ostracized. When uh, relationships go belly up, when, when things don't work out and you, you, you just feel like no one understands, you feel so far apart from everyone else, even though they're so near. You're in a city of however many million and you feel lonely. you're probably closer to Jesus than you think. In a really silly, trite way, it was a, one Sunday, it was some time ago now, and a, a Sunday can be a relatively long day. I have a morning service and then a, the, the mid-morning service. Um, we had someone for lunch and then I went visiting someone in the afternoon and in service in the evening and I was, got involved. It's yeah, quite a long day. I'm not, it's not, a, you have long days too. It's just, this was my long day. And I was tired, to be honest, and uh, weary and I just came back in the church had empty everyone had gone and I was just doing the kind of you know lock up and so on and uh, the lights and I went into the kitchen and actually this, this makes me realise just how good the teams are because it was unusual <laughs> the, the, the kitchen was a bombsite there was mugs and plates and stuff everywhere it just looked a tip and I was aware that in the coming week we had people coming in using the church couldn't leave it like that even though I wanted to and I just I kind of oh and the sort of the weariness turned into a sort of resentment, if I like. And I started to kind of chunter on the inside. Who would leave that? Wouldn't treat your home like this. Who did this? Who's that? Who's had that? And they haven't even put it in the bin. My heart was kind of going, you know, muddy. I was probably chuntering out loud, actually. And as I was just in that mood in the kitchen, I became aware that I wasn't alone. You know, when you, you know when you kind of, oh my God, there's some, someone else is here. And I got a little look around. There's no, there's no one person. It was Jesus. I don't, I wasn't, can I just tell you, this is what's so wonderful about Jesus. I was in the most unspiritual place it's possible to be. Having probably an hour earlier been, you know, the vicar. <laughs> not, not in the kitchen of his own flipping church. And Jesus is there. He's so real. It's almost like he was 
like a presence. He was there. And he was laughing at me. Well, of course he was. I mean, I mean, he just gently reminded me of what he'd been through for my sake. So was it too much to ask just to clean a little coffee cup and wipe down a plate and the surface? Oh, didn't. The poor vicar. Convicted. Busted. Well, no, that's not a biblical word, but it's the same kind of thing. Busted. And Jesus, he kind of, it's as if he said to me, should we do this together? And I thought that was a good idea. So we washed up together. And that's where the transformation took place. When I was feeling, because I, I, I was having a little pity party. I was tempted to think, I'm the only one here, and everyone else has gone, and it's just me, and no one knows what I'm doing. Little pity party. I felt quite lonely, quite desolate. And that's when Jesus joined me. Because he knows what it is to be lonely, desolate. That's when he became real. And together, we just cleared up the kitchen. I tell you this, I promise you. I went into that kitchen with a, a mucky heart. I came out rejoicing. I came out re-energized. God had given me, because of Jesus, by the Spirit, a fresh infusion of joy. It was so good to serve you. I don't care who it was. I'm no names, no factual. Whoever it was left a coffee plate, cup, doesn't matter. Love it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. So good. I could in some tiny way serve the body of Christ on that occasion, like so many of you do. Very rarely do I go in there. The kitchen is often immaculate because you guys do that. You serve. And in so doing, you come close to Jesus and he draws near to you. And as we serve with Jesus at the down times, the difficult times, the testing times, the times when we feel on our own or lonely, that's when he's most real. And that's when he imparts his love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. They become real in us. They energize us. And they transform us. The world has lots of good stories. And we have, I'd want to wager, we have the best story in that we can serve a living God whose service is perfect freedom, who gives us all the gifts and more that Lydia was outlining last week, who assures us deep in our spirit that we are his children. That is the best story among many, many good stories. And our story is only going to get better and better and better. To the glory of God. Stand together.